0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number Limited Edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Welcome to a special edition of Unfiltered, live from the nation's capital. It was a sad but momentous occasion. From the vaunted halls of National Cathedral, the nation's church, we remembered one of the nation's favorite sons, Senator John McCain. This was as the others had been according to McCain's wishes. There were scripture readings, tributes, and stirring songs of battle, mourning, and praise. It was a gathering of Washington dignitaries and luminaries, many of whom came to honor a man whose presence in this town was always made known, from the people who worked with him, to the men who bested him, to the people who covered him, and of course, the family who called him their son, their brother, their husband, and their dad. There were moments of humor, some ribbing among his friends, uh, words of wisdom, and calls to honor McCain's vision for America by returning civility, dignity, and integrity to politics. But one tribute, more than any others, more than perhaps any other in history, did it all at once. Megan McCain, a woman of just 33 years, the grieving daughter of a man she was so close to, and I'm proud to say my friend, summoned all of her courage and passion and, well, McCainness, and remembered John McCain, the loving father today. While delivering pointed and poignant messages to those who would dishonor him, to those who indeed dishonor the country with a politics of fear and pettiness and smallness. Everything John McCain was not. We gather here to mourn the passing of American greatness. The real thing, not cheap rhetoric from men who will never come near the sacrifice he gave so willingly, nor the opportunistic appropriation of those who live lives of comfort and privilege while he suffered and served. He was a great fire who burned bright. America does not boast because she has no need to. The America of John McCain has no need to be made great again because America was always great. I know who he was. I know what defined him. I got to see it every single day of my blessed life. John McCain was not defined by prison, by the Navy, by the Senate, by the Republican Party, or by any single one of the deeds in his absolutely extraordinary life. John McCain was defined by love. My friend, your father was a hero to so many and deservedly. But today, you are mine. I want to bring in CNN chief political correspondent, Dana Bash. Um, Dana, I want to talk about Meghan's incredible tribute, but um, first, you were there. I was there. Whatever people saw on television did not tell the whole story. Uh, What can you say about being in that church today?
2: I was so honored to be included, as you were, uh, to be invited to, to be in that church and in the cathedral and it's not something i will ever forget it is something that i want to write down every moment of to tell my son so he tells his children and so on it was that kind of instantly historic moment um not just the coming together of powerhouses from both parties as john mccain wanted Mm -hmm. uh and not just the 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 feeling of love and the understanding of, of of grandeur of the moment but just the, the pure emotion in that cathedral, um, it, was so, it was so palpable. And it wasn't, it, sure, of course, there was sadness, but I really think that John McCain got his wish, which is, as he said so many times, Essie, as you know, don't feel bad for me. I lived mm-hmm. a great life. It was a celebration of that yeah. great life and all of the complexities that,
1: that great life was all so about. true so true um okay let's talk about megan mm-hmm. what did you make of her uh her message today it was
2: stunning i have to say i'm not sure i wasn't sitting near you and it was a very big cathedral um but where i was there was a little bit of a gasp that she went there with the america make america great um not so subtle illusion yeah. and um and so people were kind of a little bit surprised but then, as, as you saw and everybody heard who were watching this at home, overwhelmed to the point where a remarkable thing happened, which is that people applauded in the middle of a eulogy. Right. I don't remember that happening, um, you know, ever. And so, look, she said
1: that her father told her, show him how strong you are. Mm-hmm. And she did. Yeah. And I know, you know, you and I, we've watched her grieve this week. And believe mm-hmm. me, that's it's been very hard. Um, and she was emotional today, too. But I also saw my friend in there, the mm. Megan who takes no prisoners, who is a <laughs> warrior, who suffers no fools. Um, it was remarkable. Do you think people got to know her better today?
2: I do. I, I do. And look, she's a, she's a, a public presence uh... Yeah. and a public figure unlike um, her brothers and sisters mm-hmm. who are certainly uh... serving the country and some have already served um, she's she's on a television show a popular yeah. television show and she's on every day talking about who she is and what she feels and what she thinks yeah. and has at times talked about her father but this is a completely different context and i think you're exactly right that the country and the world
1: got to know your dear friend uh, a little bit more the way you do i think her speech is really going uh, to, have, to have an impact for, mm-hmm. for days, weeks, maybe years to come. Uh, let's go over some other highlights. George W. Bush, <laughs> uh, he was classic W today. Take a listen.
3: For John and me, there was a personal journey, our hard-fought political history. Back in the day, he could frustrate me. And I know he'd say the same thing about me. But he also made me better. In the end, I got to enjoy one of life's great gifts, the friendship of John McCain. And I'll miss him. Moments before my last debate ever with Senator John Kerry in Phoenix, I was trying to gather uh, some thoughts in the holding room. I felt a presence opened my eyes, and six inches from my face was McCain, who yelled, relax, relax. (laughs) John was, above all, a man with a code. He lived by a set of public virtues that brought strength and purpose to his life and to his country. He was courageous with a courage that frightened his captors and inspired his countrymen. He was honest, no matter whom it offended. Presidents were not spared.
1: That uh, that relaxed anecdote, of course, reminded everyone, of course, um, uh, that, that that McCain had a great and sometimes wicked sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> and there's
2: so many layers in there because John McCain never relaxed, which I think was part of the uh, of the joke that he was um, that he was telling to George W. Bush. Look, that was yeah. also classic George W. Bush with totally. his shoulders and his winks. <laughs> um, you're way too young to remember this, Essie, but I do oh, I don't remember, know. and I covered the 2000 uh, primary fight. Mm-hmm between these two guys. And it was as ugly as it yeah. gets. Yeah. And the fact that those two could come from beyond that and, 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 and form a friendship, as President yeah. Bush said, says
1: so, so much. Uh, President Obama also spoke. Take a listen. So much of our politics, our public life, our public discourse can seem small
0: and mean and petty, trafficking and bombast and insult
1: and phony controversies and manufactured outrage. It's a politics that pretends to be brave and tough, but in fact is born of fear. John called on us to be bigger than that. He called on us to be better than that. Dana, not not so subtle
2: not subtext subtle. there. Mm-hmm. N- not even a little bit. Um, using all those adjectives, but then talking about fear. Obviously, this is a man who who ran on successfully, so not one but two times, uh, the notion of hope, and um, that was that was no accident uh, that he did that. And I also loved S.E. when mm-hmm. President Obama said that Senator McCain is getting the last laugh uh, by having george w bush and barack obama forced to say nice things about him (laughs) in such a public way
1: (laughs) so great um you know in a a very difficult week it is really those moments of levity Mm -hmm. make a huge difference they Um, sure do finally i I was really overwhelmed when the naval academy choir sang the battle hymn of the republic Mm -hmm. um that was incredibly moving i think you had another favorite musical moment is that right I did Uh, "America the Beautiful," because it was
2: one of those I have to remember every second of this moments for me. Because I was sitting in that in that beautiful, awesome cathedral, a few rows back. But but knowing that also in the cathedral were three former presidents, former vice presidents, all of different, you know, both parties, members of Congress, and they were all singing together mm-hmm. america the beautiful and you know i just thought as so many americans uh, probably do of my own family my own family history my grandparents escaped nazi germany and came here and loved this country and this country saved their lives and those are the kinds of things that were going through my mind and i'm sure that is an example of what people watching that from all over the country were thinking of maybe obviously different anecdotes mm. but it was so so nice and again mm-hmm. exactly what senator mccain was hoping for
1: well you have reminded me that i will go home and write everything down too because i don't <laughs> want to forget it you're <laughs> right do. there was just too much um dana bash thank you so much for joining thanks me. essie next i'll ask john mccain's longtime friend and speechwriter what he'll remember most about the senator Today, we heard from incredible dignitaries and political heavyweights who eloquently eulogized John McCain from Washington National Cathedral. But few knew McCain better than a man who many have said was like a son to him, his longtime chief of staff, speechwriter, senior advisor, and friend, Mark Salter. Mark was also the co-author of many of McCain's books, including the final publication before his death, Restless Wave. Mark, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I know how hard this week must have been, and I just, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk to me about a man that I know you, you deeply cherished.
4: I'm happy to come on.
1: Um, okay, first, what did you think about today's ceremony?
4: Magnificent, really very moving. The music was just so, so powerful and stirring. Uh, it'll be a, a long-lasting memory.
1: For sure. Um, as many have noted, McCain scripted the way all of this should go. Um, do you think he'd be pleased with how it's gone?
4: He liked a good show, um, and that was quite a show. Yeah, I think he would be. I think he would be very touched by all the eulogies. He would have been proud of Megan. Uh, he mm-hmm. would have been crying like the rest of us were during Danny Boy. Yeah. <sighs> Um, you know yeah I think he would have loved it I, he wouldn't have liked the motorcade he was uh, he always got mad at us about motorcades felt we were inconveniencing other people who uh, who would remind us our voters but uh, um, other than the motorcade I think uh, he would have loved everything else
1: well wow. um, with Senator McCain there were rarely lines to read between he was pretty blunt and unambiguous so It isn't hard to figure out what he meant when he invited Barack Obama and George W. Bush to speak at his funeral. Um, Did he talk to you about that decision in particular?
4: Yes, ma'am. I I was in his office when he decided to do it, um, and I was there when he called President Obama. uh, you know, it's it's as you said. It's plain what the message was that we have more in common than than we have in disagreement. Uh, that we have got common problems and common responsibilities to solve them. And you can fight as hard as you want, and no one ever fought harder for his views and uh, than John McCain did. Um, uh, sometimes vociferously, and sometimes with an edge to him, as as uh, almost every speaker uh, noted today. But uh, yeah. uh, at the end of the day, uh, he he, wa- he he wanted to make modest progress on the problems of our time and uh and i think he did
1: Hmm. Uh, we've talked about how we can best honor his legacy what do you think would make him proud of us as a country
4: you know to recognize that that we are a nation of ideals we have those ideals in common that they are bigger than any one of us uh Every single, you know, every, any individual one of us, and that uh, they have been a great blessing to humanity, and they have made us the wealthiest, most prosperous country on earth, and that we need to serve those ideals. We're, that's what we're about. We're not about an ethnic group. We're not about blood or soil. We're 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 we're, we're about freedom and equal justice and respecting the dignity of all, of every person. And I think that's what he would like us to do and get stuff yeah. done together. Learn to like each other.
1: <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um. I wonder if you could talk to me about writing with John McCain. Uh, What was that process like, whether it was speeches or last book, Restless Wave, or or any of the others? What was that like?
4: Well, I don't know if everybody appreciates it, but he was a a great reader, a very avid reader. He was extremely well-read, and not just in, in non-fiction histories and biographies. Of course, he was. But, but in fiction and we had we had similar tastes in those lines and we, he could talk quite intelligently about uh, uh, Somerset mom or, or Hemingway or a mutual favorite a guy by the name of William Trevor so uh, we, we we enjoyed the same things to read so he wanted to speak uh, plainly but uh, passionately um, uh, sort of uh, I don't know. Uh, the way you would expect a guy that had sacrificed so much for his country's ideals to speak, and yeah. somehow we we we, uh, we had the um, we had kind of a mind meld on, on how that should sound, and um, it was a happy uh, collaboration for thirty years.
1: Mm. Well, he was he was lucky to have you. Um, kind of sad. pitching pitching forward to to tomorrow. Um, did he talk <clears throat> to you at all about the decision to be interred at Annapolis? Did did you guys discuss that at all?
4: yeah years ago when uh, so the he's he's going to be buried next to his one of his oldest friends uh who was uh you know a, a four-star admiral sink pack twice superintendent of the naval academy chuck larson his classmate at the naval academy they stayed, they were a, a real odd couple um and uh uh, uh admiral larson had purchased uh, four four plots one for he and his wife and one for john and cindy and, and John liked the idea, and uh, I remember when Admiral Larson called him, he said, Hey, you know, Chuck Larson just bought me a- and told me the story. But, uh, yeah, he, he's, uh, he had a love-hate relationship with a place that over time became just love. And uh, it's a beautiful spot overlooking the Severn River. It's, it's really uh, an appropriate place for him.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, it is a beautiful spot there. Um, I'm wondering what your uh take was on some of the rebukes of Trump that we've heard over the past few days, particularly today, from mm-hmm. both President Obama and from mm-hmm. um from Megan.
4: Yeah. Um you know, uh they they um they um, John McCain and, and President Trump uh see the country and this country's purposes differently. And I think that was made clear in a couple of the tributes. It wasn't uh it was a day to celebrate John McCain and celebrate his values and ideals, and sometimes that contrasted to, uh, to the president's disadvantage. I don't think it was about the president. Um, I don't think um, I don't think we'd want to even belabor the the, the subject of the in- incumbent administration. I just think that. Uh, yeah. John McCain was raised to revere this country's values, and to and to feel compassion for every every human being, and to uh, to uh, recognize everyone's equal dig- dignity, and to fight the bad guys, to help the little guys, mm-hmm. and that's that's what I think this service and this week of memorial services and John McCain's entire life and career was all about.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I I don't know if uh, Senator McCain had heard the rumors that the Russell Senate Building might one day be named after um, after him. Did you guys discuss that? Did he know of that? He did not. That's incredible. Well, <laughs> I hope, uh, you know, you know this town. I know this town uh, make me very proud to see his name on that building. You too, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes, it would. Mark Salt- Sauter, thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing what you know of such a great man. I'm sorry for your loss, uh, oh, but I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank
4: you, Essie. Thank you.
1: OK, a uh, quick programming note tonight. Join President Obama, President Bush, President Clinton as they remember Senator McCain in John McCain, for whom the bell tolls at 9 p.m. on CNN. We'll be right back. His last vote was one of his most memorable. It was also completely in keeping with a man who stuck by his principles. Days before he walked onto the Senate floor to flash, the now iconic thumbs down, he refused to telegraph how he would vote on his party's last chance to repeal Obamacare. In the minutes before that vote, when it became clear to his colleagues what he was about to do, despite their desperate scrambling, he wouldn't be talked out of it. He cast his vote the way that he did because Senate leadership did not play by the rules. I know that because he said it in a statement released right after the shock subsided. We must now return to the correct way of legislating, he said. He was a man of conviction, a man who wanted regular order returned to the chamber he loved. Those who had the pleasure and sometimes bad luck to work with him know this all too well. One of those colleagues is uh, of Senator McCain's is former Republican Congressman Charlie Dent. Uh, welcome, Congressman. What has your impression been of all the senators and congressmen, presidents from both sides of the aisle, coming together this week to honor John McCain?
5: You know, I see. I think what, what I've gotten out of this week out of this full week of uh, remembrances of John McCain is that they're really remembering him for his his integrity, his character, you know, his honor, in both his personal and his public life. You know, I think we're all recognizing the fact that the man was utterly fearless. He was not afraid to stand up, speak truth to power, regardless of the consequences. This is a man who was principled, yet pragmatic. Mm -hmm. I mean, he did things during the uh, 2008 financial meltdown. You know, he stood up and he led, even though he was criticized for it at the time, he stood up and he led. And it really cost him politically when he took a leadership role on that. But he felt he had to do that for the good of the country, for the good of the economy. That was the kind of man he was, and that's why we're all remembering him so so fondly.
1: Yeah. Uh, Bipartisanship has been a theme of this week's ceremonies, as it was of, of McCain's life, of course. Today, Joe Lieberman spoke about how McCain asked him about being on a bipartisan ticket. Take a listen.
3: I said, you know, John, I'm really honored, but I don't see how you can do it. Even though I won my last election as an an independent, I'm still a registered Democrat. And John's response was direct and really uh, ennobling. That's the point, Joe, he said with a certain impatience. You're a Democrat. I'm a Republican. We could give our country The bipartisan leadership, it needs for a change.
1: Congressman, do you think the message of bipartisanship will be received?
5: It was certainly delivered. Whether or not it will be received is another matter. Hey, there are always acts of bipartisanship in Congress. But the bigger challenge right now in the Congress, and I think John McCain recognized this as well as anybody, is the tribal nature of the politics. You know, on the Republican side... You know, the litmus test has become loyalty to a man. You know, to the president, Donald Trump. On the Democratic side, it seems that their party is moving very hard left, and uh, and there's this there's this space in the center. And the, but the political rewards for the members of Congress are really not uh, in terms of compromise or consensus and governing. It's really to to play to the bases, and I mm-hmm. think that's really the tragedy here. And McCain, I, John McCain, certainly wanted us to, you know, try to arrive at that consensus, but I'm, I'm afraid that even with John McCain gone, I don't know that uh, enough people are going to, uh, you know, heed his advice.
1: Yeah. So you've you've retired from your role in Congress, um, but during your last campaign for the House in 2016, you were campaigning at a Tea Party forum in Pennsylvania. I want to play a very short audio clip of that appearance.
5: I'm just saying that, you know, these are the kinds of issues that I, I have to deal with, you know, with the... Or John
6: McCain. I
5: know John McCain. He's an idiot. He's a patriot. He's a great man. Who would call him
1: an idiot? And just to add a little context, you were explaining why it was difficult for you to support the Republican nominee for president, Donald Trump. Talk about that moment and why you got so passionate.
5: Well, that was a debate, actually, where they were actually they were trying. I think they're really trying to set me up, just to find out why I was not supporting. Donald Trump for president, yeah. and I started to tell them why. I mentioned John McCain, and some people, you know, made some very derogatory statements about him, which I was truly offended by. And I, if the, that tape went on further, I said it was, you know, disgraceful that they'd say that about him. Uh, but, you know, it was really a, a bizarre moment for me, uh, but it reinforced all the reasons why I didn't support the nominee and why I was <laughs> always very proud to stand up for John McCain. You know, this is a great patriot, a great American. Uh, a man of you know, great yeah. principle and strength and character. So I it was just one of those weird moments. That 2016 campaign was the most uh, one of the most bizarre. That was one of the more bizarre experiences I've ever uh, felt in uh, public life.
1: I bet. Um, so, Congressman, what will become of us without John McCain in the Senate, without John McCain uh, guiding us? Well, you know, I I feel as what I hope happens with with John McCain being laid
5: to rest tomorrow in in Annapolis. You know, I I hope that that capacity for pragmatism, for compromise, for governance that he had and he did it so well. I hope that is not buried with him, Mm. Uh, that I hope that there are others who are going to stand up and, uh, you know, carry the torch and be the ones who are willing to, you know, take the heat say hey, we need to get something done and here's why. And yeah. you know, like I, said, I, we, I saw John McCain do that during the financial crisis. He stood up and led when it would have been a lot easier for him yeah. to, to hang back and it cost him politically. There aren't as many people around like that, but I'm hoping yeah. uh, that uh, with all these great eulogies and great comments about Senator McCain, you know, our, our, the best gifts we can give him, I've always said, if you're a member of Congress is to get something done, solve some yeah. big problems, you know, do it the way he would have wanted mm-hmm. you to do it. That would be, that would be, mm-hmm. be more important than any, any other yeah. honor you could, you could give him.
1: Congressman Charlie Dent, thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining me. Hey, hey, thank you, Essie. Great
5: to be with you, as always.
1: Thanks. Okay, up next, we'll look at John McCain's military legacy and his outsized impact on U.S. foreign policy. Perhaps nothing defined and will continue to define for years to come McCain's legacy than his military service. The son of a four-star Navy Admiral, McCain graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy In 1958, he went on to flight school and a robust naval aviation career, but McCain was most revered as a war hero for his service in Vietnam. He was captured after his plane was shot down and spent five brutal years as a POW. Despite the physical and mental anguish he suffered, McCain chose to keep serving. He later received the Silver Star, Bronze Star, Purple Heart, and Distinguished Flying Cross. In 1977, McCain was appointed as the Navy's liaison to the U.S. Senate, the beginning of his longtime political career that culminated with decades of public service as a U.S. Senator from Arizona. The McCain Doctrine was marked by an unapologetic call to export the American experiment abroad. If democracy is the best we've got, well, then everyone should have it. His commitment to the Iraq war and the surge have been both lauded and criticized and often misunderstood. He did not relish war. He cherished peace. Let me bring in CNN military and diplomatic analyst, former State Department spokesperson, retired U.S. Navy Rear Admiral John Kirby. And also with us is executive director of government affairs of the American Legion National Headquarters, U.S. Army veteran Louis Shelley, um, First to you, Admiral, at a time when leaders of both parties, from Obama to Trump, have wanted us to, in some ways, pull out of the world, how remarkable was McCain's unflinching call to stay, whether in Iraq or Syria or Ukraine?
6: Yeah, I think actually President Obama touched on this a little bit today, Essie, when he talked about McCain's belief that America was an indispensable nation, that we had special obligations to lead in the world. But he didn't just believe that we were engaged in the affairs of the world because we were a great country. He believed we were a great country because we were engaged in the, fair, right. in the affairs of the world and that that engagement had to be based on values, on human rights. George Bush said it really well today. He said that he, mm-hmm. he, he, he was passionate about freedom he, because he, he knew what it was like to be in the absence of that. Right. Uh, and so he really, I think, uh, espoused the notion that sometimes it was in our best national interest as a country to defend the national interests, the safety, the security, the stability of people overseas.
1: Yeah. Uh, Lewis, how much do you think his time... In Vietnam, uh, as a veteran yourself, how much do you think that shaped his view of the world when it comes to uh, foreign policy and veterans? Well, I
7: certainly think that his his time in Vietnam helped shape his understanding of what it means to be at war. And, yeah. and by all means, everybody remember his stance on uh, on torture and and his proclamation that it just didn't work.
1: Yeah, and I wa- I want to. Um, Talk to you, uh, Admiral Kirby, about, about that in particular because his stance on enhanced, uh, enhanced interrogation right. was not a popular one within his own party at the time. Um, right. People, you know, Republicans certainly admired and respected his, co- you know, where he was coming from when it came, came to torture, but it really put him at odds with, you know, the leaders of his party at the time.
6: It may have put him at odds with the leaders of his, uh, of his party, no doubt, S.E., but it didn't put him at odds with the military culture that he grew up in, that mm. he knew, that his father mm. and, and his grandfather were a part of, because it's very much a part of our culture that you don't torture, that you don't need to torture, that you treat pre-OWs humanely in accordance with international law, and that's where he was coming from, basic core values that the military continues to espouse today.
1: Yeah. Um, Lewis, talk to me about his continued commitment to to veterans, not just um, in terms of getting them the resources they need, but also um, in how they were received uh, coming home uh, and, and the work he did to change that reception.
7: Absolutely, SC. John McCain was a proud legionnaire. And while we didn't always agree on matters of, of legislation and how we should best move forward, we were always we were always professional enough to come together and to be able to work those differences out. Without John McCain, we probably would not have had several pieces of major landmark legislation mm. that helps veterans get the care that they need today, the Choice Act and most recently the Mission Act.
1: Hmm. Uh, Admiral Corby, I, I can't think of another non-president, non-general whose foreign policy, I call it a McCain doctrine because it feels like one, has been more influential. Um, how do you think history will view his, his view of the world when it comes to our, our role in it? I hope the world and our country remembers that his view of
6: foreign policy, though it could be more aggressive uh, than even he uh, was comfortable with. I mean, he ended up regretting his vote on the Iraq war, but I hope we remember that he did not believe defense and diplomacy were two separate issues, that they Mm -hmm. had to work hand in hand. Yes, there were times when he wanted to be very assertive militarily, but there were also times when he very much tried to bolster the views and the efforts and the initiatives of the State Department and our diplomats overseas. Mm -hmm. He believed in an assertive but not an arrogant American foreign policy. And that's what I hope we can
1: find our way back to. So, so well said. I think, I think people can talk about his foreign policy in sort of cartoonish ways. Um, And he was actually fairly, fairly nuanced. Um, To both of you, um, Louis Shelley and Admiral Kirby, thank you for your service. And thank you for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Thank
7: you. Thank you for having us. Thank you.
1: Uh, Before we go to break, a reminder on Monday, you can discover the inspiring life and career of another American icon, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Watch the CNN film RBG on Labor Day at 9 p.m. here on CNN. John McCain fought with a lot of people. The press was no exception, but as difficult as he could be, he always understood how important we were. The freedom of the press was paramount for his vision of a strong democracy, and he would never want that diminished. I turn now to longtime Hill reporter, Washington Post's Paul Kane. Um, P.K., he was both revered and feared by the press. Um, what was it like to cover him?
8: Well said, Essie. Um,
1: When you were covering John McCain, you were covering what I call a force
8: of nature. Uh, Usually these days, it's the, the top elected leaders in the House and Senate who control everything, who dictate the schedule. But McCain never even served in a single leadership position, never wanted to run for them. He stayed out in the committees, the Armed Services mm-hmm. Committee, the Commerce Committee. And he he ruled the roost out there, and he used his own personality mm-hmm. to build these coalitions on things that sometimes his own leaders did not want to even debate. And he would get them onto the floor, campaign finance reform, tobacco legislation. He was getting things on the floor and getting more time on the floor. You just knew that you were covering somebody who was unique unique in an era in which these days the most committee chairman could be considered meek at best. Wow.
1: Uh, One word I have heard used to describe him that I really, really like is urgent. Uh, Everything around John McCain felt urgent. Um, They say if he was giving you a hard time, it meant that he liked you. Um, Did he like you, PK? (laughs)
8: Uh, I'm not sure exactly which words I can say and not say with... uh, (laughs) without getting into too much trouble here with F-E- FCC fines. But, okay. yeah, there were, there were plenty of nicknames, some colorful or not, that he would, uh, he would give out to me and plenty of us on the Capitol Hill Press Corps. Uh, it, was, he, it was his way of camaraderie. It was his way of just sort of letting you know that he, you know, he was in on the game. Uh, um, yeah. But, you know, he could bark at you just as, just as much.
1: Um, More seriously, did he ever treat you like you were the enemy of the people as the press? Uh, I
8: have a unique uh, story among uh, Hill colleagues. It was never the enemy of the press or anything like that. But um, I got the worst treatment of all for a few months in 2009. I got the silent treatment. Mm. Um, when he came back from the 2008 campaign, he, he writes about this in his book, The Restless Wave. He felt that the media really gave him a raw deal, and they tilted toward Obama. Mm-hmm. And for a couple months there, in early 2009, he just looked at me and uh, one or two reporters from the New York Times and just didn't want to talk to us. He felt wow. that we really didn't give him a fair shake. It was a rare time, and uh, there was no big Like we're over it moment. All of a sudden someday we're just talking again like old times.
1: Wow. Incredible. Um, Explain how he would, he had a reputation for knowing how to use the media to his advantage uh, when he was hitting roadblocks in the Senate. How did he do that? Absolutely. He understood the media uh, but President Obama hit
8: on this today about his, that McCain respected the First Amendment and because he got some really great press also. But McCain (laughs) knew, McCain knew that he had to Build a coalition, and not just of people on the House floor and the Senate floor to get laws passed. He needed to get the public behind things. And the best case for that that he ever did was campaign finance reform Mm -hmm. in the late 90s and 2000s. It was his long, long great whale that he was trying to to land. And he did it by getting great press over and over again for the issue, and that
1: finally broke through and got signed into law. Amazing. Um, Anyone in D.C. you've covered that you think can take up the the sheer size of this man, his influence on the Hill?
8: No. Uh, His great friend Lindsey Graham went to the floor uh, Tuesday afternoon and gave his tribute speech there, a really, really heartfelt speech, crying throughout. Um, And toward the very end of the speech, he looked around the Senate chamber and said to all of them, do not ask me to fill this void. Do not ask me to do it. None, no individual can do that. And he's looked at all of his colleagues and said, we have to do this together. Uh, and he said, if you want to help me, join the march. It's got to be a march of many, many, many people, not just one. Two big shoes wow. to fill.
1: You've written about John McCain a lot, uh, as have other people. And even with a person whose biography is so well-known, I have to think there's plenty more to write. Um, What's left?
8: Well, I think, first of all, what's left is to see what what we were just talking about. Will others step up? I kind of have felt like for the last 18 months that some of these Republicans who want to speak out against Trump have kind of been sitting back and letting McCain do the talking for them. Even when he was at home in Sedona battling brain cancer, McCain will put out statements against Trump that yeah. were tougher, that were harsher, that were more in line with traditional conservative Republican values. Yeah. I think without him there, there's an hmm. opening and there's hmm. a void that they some of these guys could step into hmm. and fill. Um, without McCain there, that's the big question remaining. Do people step in?
1: Yeah. Uh, Paul Kane, thank you so much for coming on. You really, you covered this man a lot and, uh, I, am glad you did. And I'm glad you talked about it tonight.
8: Thank you so much.
1: Thanks to all my guests tonight. Uh, that does it for this special edition of Unfiltered from Washington. CNN newsroom with Ana Cabrera is just ahead.
0: When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level.